I know what it's like to have your family being torn apart. My protection from deportation is ending. ICE could pick me up at any time. My fear right now is I'll have to go back in hiding, and now it's not just me. I have two kids. I love this country. Like, I consider myself American, even though America doesn't consider me that. Welcome to the Common Good Hour, hosted by Drew Reynolds, Roger Zaclupe, and Carrie Rebens. In this podcast, you'll learn about the ways nonprofit and social sector professionals are tackling the big problems of our time so you can improve your practice and advance the common good in your community. Hello, everyone. I'm Roger Zaclupe. And I'm Drew Reynolds. We hope you all are doing well. I am excited about this episode, this interview that we uh, that Drew and I had a chance to uh to partake in. Um, but beforehand, Drew, hey man, I just wanted to check, how are things going, man? How's the family? How are you? How is life in Atlanta? Dude, it is just one day at a time. There's, <laughs> that is the only way you can, I feel like I can manage to get through, you know? Any any uh, new news from family members? Oh man, you put me on the spot. So I, I am super spot. pumped. You did. I'm super pumped because my um, oldest brother is about to welcome a new child into the world. Um, by the time this episode airs, that baby will be here. So I am super excited to be an uncle again. An uncle again. Well, congratulations to you. Congratulations to your brother and his family. That's amazing. Yeah, um, thank so, you. How yeah, about you, man? Tell, what's going on? What's going on on the farm? Man, look, the farm life is amazing. But I will say that uh, right now I'm going to quote a 90s song. For all our listeners, right? So appropriate. Um, I am. The mountains win again. That's going to be my quote for uh, for today. The mountains win again. It's actually a song by Blues Travelers and uh, um, by Blues Traveler. And um, so uh, right now, we, my fa- our family is uh, spending some time in the mountains. We're just relaxing, enjoying the cool mountain air, um, having some fun. And um, shout out to my wife. Actually, we celebrate our twentieth anniversary today so um hey congratulations yeah yeah, man 20 years of fun uh smiles laughter challenges like like all relationships (laughs) but you know um we have what are you doing on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) this is dedication man he is here on the podcast this is dedication (laughs) well you know i i um i love my wife she's an amazing individual and uh and, uh, and she loves me and she knows how dedicated I am to a lot of things. But uh, but yeah, we're, we're having a great time. So if if uh, if any of our listeners who haven't had an opportunity to enjoy the North Carolina mountains, I encourage you to go visit. Um, it's a day trip or a weekend trip or a week trip, however you want to make out of it. But uh, the, the mountains here in North Carolina are beautiful. Man, I could. I'm just going to second that. We had done a great trip up that way. Um, we ended up staying over on the Tennessee side uh, towards Watauga Lake, but we got to see a lot of North Carolina up in in Boone. Um, and we spent a lot of time when we were living in Charlotte on doing day trips to Asheville, which were some of my best memories, I think, of being in Charlotte. So, yeah, man, I miss those North Carolina mountains. Well, I am pumped that you are uh, with me right now talking about something that's going to be very important uh, 
uh, that we hope that our listeners um, will will think it's very important to them because I know it's very important to us. And the individual we interviewed uh, for this um, interview is also somebody who's passionate about the work. So today we get to take a moment to talk about the immigrant experience in America. And we're doing this through a less conventional lens of our podcast by bringing on filmmaker and producer Theo Rigby. Yeah, and Theo is just, he's just a fantastic person. And Roger, you want to share a little bit about how you met Theo and um, kind of how that came to be that he'd be on this podcast. Theo and I met, uh, I want to say it was two or three years ago. Um, I need to check on that. It might have been 2017. Uh, I was presenting at a conference with Carrie. So Carrie and I were asked to go present at the a Latino social worker organization uh, conference in Seattle, Washington. And Theo was presenting a film at that time. I want to say the film was Sin País, which is an amazing film, by the way. It's it's a documentary, and I don't want to spoil anything for our listeners. But if you get a chance to to watch Sin País, it's 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 a very captivating uh, film and and story. Um, but he was he was screening that film, and I was just blown away by not only the film, but just by him. He was doing a Q&A. He was on a panel. And I just said, I got to meet him. And so um, I waited a bit afterwards. And there was a lot of people trying to talk to him about some things. I just went up to him and, and was was a, started a conversation about where I'm from. And he, you know, we struck a really deep conversation. And, uh, and from there, we just kept in touch via email. He became a guest speaker, a virtual guest speaker, uh, for one of the courses I teach, the uh, Social Work Practice with Latino Communities course, and students were just enamored by his ability to tell a story, tell somebody else's story through his lens and the connection he made. And um, a lot of students in that course uh, talked about how it moved them to then become advocates uh, for our immigrant and, and Latino communities. So that's how we met, and that's how we sort of cultivated our relationship and friendship. Um, since then, we've um, we've worked with each other on a couple of projects. He was scheduled to be our keynote, one of our keynote speakers for the fourth annual Latinx Mental Health Summit, which was going to be in April of this year. But of course, with COVID and everything else that was happening, we had to postpone it. And uh, but Theo was still. Um, awesome. And he uh, did a virtual Q&A with, with one of my classes. And again, students were just um, in awe of just the work, his passion and his commitment to immigrant and, uh, and Latinx communities. Yeah. And one thing that I'm also super pumped about for this particular episode is that, you know, I as we've gone into this podcasting world, I've started to learn a lot about editing and studio and production for audio. I was, you know, kind of a novice diving into it. Um, but today we're going to get a chance to actually play some of the clips from some of his films um, and share that on so that you can hear them. Um, and then also we'll have links available in the, on the website so that you can go and actually view some of these films that we'll be talking about today. Um, you know, for those of you who are in education and want to share them with your classes or for those of you who work in an organization or a nonprofit, um, and want to have an opportunity to take some time to reflect on the immigrant experience. These are great ways to engage an audience and to have conversations with people um, around the challenges that um, and also but also the stories and the beauty and the love that come from many of the immigrant stories across our country. And so I'm just really excited for it. 
So am I. And he just finished uh, not too long ago. I can't remember if it was last year, but he finished his short uh, documentary series, Waking Dream, which I've utilized in class. And students are just in awe of of his storytelling, and and especially because it, uh, the focus is this is on the stories of of young undocumented people with DACA permits, and so how they're navigating their lives here in America through a system that uh, can be very uh, bearing on their you know in their world, in their lives, in their relationships, and how they perceive themselves, and how they perceive where they need to be in life, you know. And uh, and currently, right now, he's in production with a documentary called Sanctuary Rising, and it's a feature documentary about the faith-based sanctuary movement. I'm really excited and stoked to hear when it's going to to go live or when it's going to be up. But I think he's almost close to finishing that up. I know he was doing some fundraising, but he's. I think he might have been, at, at the time that we talked to him, he might have been about 90% or 95% done with uh, with the film. So, and there's so much work that goes into that. So, yeah, so it's going to be just great. Um, it's a fantastic interview and so glad for our listeners to have a chance to listen to it. So, um, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with our interview with Theo Rigby. We are now joined by director, cinematographer, interactive storyteller, and founder of iNation Media, Theo Rigby. He's just finished his short documentary series, Waking Dream, focusing on the stories of young undocumented people with DACA permits, and is now in production on Sanctuary Rising, a feature documentary about the faith-based sanctuary movement. Theo, welcome to the Common Good Hour. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So, Theo, we're really excited about uh, this interview with you today. Um, Theo and I actually go back a few years. I met Theo, I believe it was in Seattle, Washington, when I was presenting at a conference, uh, the Latino Social Workers Organization Conference with uh, with Carrie, and you were screening or I, or either screening or we were watching Sin País. So that's that was, I believe, the documentary that we were we were viewing. Um, and you know it it was just an amazing uh film and i just had to go and meet him i said i have to meet this incredible individual so i got a chance to meet theo uh theo um spent some time chatting with me it was really great and i got his card and then from there we just developed this uh west coast east coast relationship cuz theo is is out there in the west coast in california and over time oh Theo has been a, a guest, uh, virtual guest speaker for a few of the courses that I teach in the School of Social Work, and most recently was going to come and um, be one of our one of our keynote speakers for the uh, Latinx Mental Health Summit that we hold here in Charlotte. And unfortunately, we were, we had to postpone it due to COVID. But you know, Theo, um, you are just. Uh, uh, an ally and definitely somebody who we need to spotlight. Um, and that's why we invited you to, to come. So thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thanks so much for, for giving me an opportunity to, to chat with you all. And, um, and thank you for, for your work um, on, on this podcast. So let's begin with your film, Wake and Dream, um, where you tell the stories of young undocumented people living in the U S with DACA permits can you talk about why you chose to create a film focused on this topic? 
Well, I've been working with undocumented and mixed status communities for for a long time, um, almost 15 years now. So um, I've been working with young undocumented people way before DACA, um, when when people had no status whatsoever, uh, no legal status in this country. And um, when DACA happened, um, it was, you know, it was this a huge, huge sea change. And, and I was, I was just kind of witness and, um, and just, just with kind of my, my colleagues and friends who were, were having this really dramatic um, shift in their, in their ability to, to do what they want to, you know, to go to school, to work, to, to have some sort of security, you know, just to, uh, make make family decisions. You know, a lot of a lot of folks are in relationships and and even married. And and when you're undocumented, you know, the prospect of having kids when you're a young person is is really daunting. And and that's how a lot of people get DACA and have that security and say, you know what, you know, it's time to time to start a family. So you know, it's more it's more than than qualifying for student loans. Um, it's it's goes very much to the familial to the community to the psychological um having that um having that just uh emotional security and then the election happened in 2016 and um as many people might remember our current president ran on a on a campaign of of uh taking daca away on day 1 um of his presidency in January 2017 so from you know the election in November 2016, everybody uh, you know was a lot of people were surprised at what happened, and then all of a sudden there was a specter of oh my gosh, the DACA could go away um, January 20th, 2017. So at that moment, I, I knew I knew I had to do do something, and um, the project was really born then in the middle of November 2016, um, and we. I kind of cobbled a team together, had no funding, no money, no, no nothing, just, um, just, uh, kind of put the word out there on social media saying, Hey, we want to do a series featuring a, a diverse set of people with DACA. It was really important to, to have people featured in the film to, um, to show, um, a, a few things. One, that, um, that people with DACA and the undocumented community at large, um, doesn't all speak Spanish. And aren't all from you know Spanish-speaking countries? About forty percent of the undocumented community in in the United States is um, not Spanish-speaking from a from a native Spanish-speaking country. And it was really important also to show um, uh, uh, kind of diversity in geography because it's really different um, living in say a city where I am right now in San Francisco, which is a sanctuary city and has. Is incredibly resourced uh, in so many different ways, from you know, from just like jobs uh, to uh, to mental health to physical health to uh, across the board. There's there's a lot of resources if you're undocumented here, as opposed to say one participant in the film, Marisol, lives uh, about 70 miles off the U.S.-Mexico border in Arizona, and in her town there's this massive border patrol station. So the Border Patrol literally drives by her house time after time after time after time every single day. So her reality, and there's no resources and very few undocumented folks there. And it's very, very conservative. So her reality is is really different than someone, say, living in a metropolitan area. Um, 
So we put the call out. I've got in touch with a lot of people who I knew and organizations I had worked with. We also put just a general social media call out. And we also kind of scoured news stories um, to try to uh, connect with with different folks. And we received about 100 responses of people saying, I want to tell my story. You know, I'm interested in being part of this. And uh, which is, you know, incredibly, incredibly brave at the time and still is. and and then kind of whittled that down and eventually landed on on six people that we featured. So um so yeah, the series is is a stories of these six people uh essentially over the course of of two years of of mostly 2017 and uh and 2018. You know, Theo, in the film uh, Wake and Dream, like you mentioned, you had had a, a variety of individuals with different experiences and I've shown that uh, the film in class. I teach a social work practice with Latinx communities course at UNC Charlotte, and it's 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 one of the films that that we watch as a class, and we have dialogue. And um, you know, you came in as a as a virtual guest speaker here this spring, and you know, the class really a lot of cl- a lot of the students their eyes were open and their minds were expanded to really knowing what that experience was about, even though some students may not have really been able to understand it because they, they, they walked a different path, but still it was one of those eye opening experiences. And the dialogue that you had with students was incredible and amazing. And, and afterwards I spoke with students and they were just, um, their minds are just blown away. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, um, it, it, it's, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot in waking dream for sure. Um, because, you know, not only do you see the experiences of these six young people, but you also get to meet their parents. Um, you know, that I, I always say, like, I make films with immigrant and undocumented communities, really. And in, in each each film, I try to have kind of a different entry point into these r- incredibly layered and complex um issues you know there's i think i think the the complexity of immigration goes a lot into just how how divisive it is because there are um there's so much information and so many different layers to so many different angles that a lot of times um media just really boils it down to um to two sides you know to 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 good and bad to legal illegal to you know um to citizenship for to uh, amnesty rather or citizenship for all or deport them all right there's these the, the, there's a binary that is is pretty easy to make a, a binary and just to kind of reinforce that and reinforce that and reinforce that um and it's really hard to 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 take a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy to see how incredibly complex and layered a tapestry the you know the the history and the current reality of immigrant communities woven into non-immigrant communities in this country now more than ever across the entire country not just in major cities but in 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 rural areas in this country as well um i know that exists in north carolina too and it, it takes a lot of work to to get to that and really understand um, some of these immigrant stories. So that's that's what I try to do in my films. And I try to make a different entry point in each piece. So the entry point in Waking Dream is through these young people with DACA, where a poll just came out a couple of days ago. Still, 
the same poll happened, you know, two or three years ago, like 86 or 87 percent of the country thinks that young people with DACA should be able to stay here. Um, So, yeah, so the overwhelming supermajority believes that. Mm -hmm. um, But a big percentage of that, 86 or 87 percent, is not does not believe in, you know, progressive immigration reform and policy changes. A big part of that 87 percent, you know, believe like wants to build a wall and wants to restrict legal immigration and want and maybe agrees with um, what's going on on the border right now, which is effectively complete total stoppage of uh, of asylum law, like which is completely unprecedented in the history of our country. So um, so that's an entry point where I thought it, it, there's an opportunity there. Right. There's a big, big number of people who agree with kind of. Uh, the, the the main protagonist in the in the story and agree with kind of their right to be here or existence, if you will, in this country. But they might not agree with the existence of their parents in the country or their wider community. So in Waking Dream, you get to meet them, but you also meet their parents and you also start to see that rich tapestry of uh, you can't just say, oh, these DACA kids, air quotes are okay and it wasn't their fault and they're fine they should be here because the the just the nature of that statement um it's not their fault um they grew up here they're american that uh says begs a question well whose fault is it who who did wrong here right. and that that um reinforces this good, bad immigrant narrative and essentially like criminalizes their parents, right? Because, oh, it's their parents. They made the decision. They they broke the law, et cetera. When, of course, so many people were fleeing, um, you know, fleeing, fleeing poverty and fleeing violence and fleeing so many things because nobody, nobody wants to leave their home and be forced out of their home if, um, if, if they don't have to be. So, um, so yeah, Waking Dream takes that takes that entry through these young people and then kind of goes in through, through their ex- experience and then expands outward. Um, and, and some of my other films kind of take other entry points to get into this um, incredibly, you know, complex layering of, of what it means to be undocumented and what it means to, to, um, to be an ally to undocumented and immigrant communities as well. So Theo in the film, a central theme that you also explore is this notion of the American dream. And I want to play a quick clip here from the film that speaks to that. What is the American dream? That's a question that I have asked myself so many times. I'm just going to give it my all and make sure that I leave my mark. So, Theo, what do the stories of young people in Waking Dream tell us about the American dream today? I'm always a little bit conflicted in using this kind of American dream trope, right? Because it's uh, it's it's oft overused and and really incredibly complicated. I'm not sure exactly what really not sure exactly what it is. Um, The American dream. I could I could ask the people who I'm filming, you know, what their dreams are you know what's the dream of rossi of steve of dylan of john james and muddy soul in waking dream um but this uh this american dream um it's it's 
it, it's so complicated and it's really, I think it comes down a lot to, um, to identity sometimes when I ask that question. I'm, I'm, I'm asking kind of what is, uh, uh, often kind of how, how, how is this, um, this reality of being undocumented in this country? <clears throat> Excuse me. What's this reality of being undocumented, undocumented in this country having, having grown up here in this case for these young people? really not being some of them really not being connected um much at all to the country where where they were born um and having this kind of specter of deportation back to that country you know uh, steve for instance was born in peru to chinese immigrant parents comes to the united states and grows up here and then is facing deportation his parents get deported back to china and he's facing deportation back to Peru, which is a country where he hasn't been since he was a young kid, has no family whatsoever and no and no connections. So. Um, so. So, yeah, I think the American dream, Pete, is um, is is it's really convoluted because that the, the original idea, ideal of that is, you know, you work hard and the you know, the the value and worth of your grit will reflect in where you go and what you receive. And the irony with the American dream with the undocumented community is that there are so many doors that are closed due to the simple fact that they don't have a social security number and don't have a legal status in this country that that American dream that that uh, that that ideal of the American dream of you work as hard as you 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 receive what you get from the work that you put in is not necessarily true. Um, and DACA, you know, DACA basically kind of uh, in this temporary, <laughs> incredibly imperfect, uh, fixed kind of way, uh, a band aid, if you will, like it, it kind of made that paradigm uh, true for a bit. Because you know, young undocumented people with DACA could uh, could could basically like enter the workforce and enter the educational system as people could with um, with you know legal permanent status or citizenship, and the work that they put in would be reflected in the way that they kind of like move forward um, uh, in 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 the kind of like a, the the typical sense of of getting degrees and making money and starting businesses etc um so the american dream is really a it's really a convoluted question again i kind of like hesitate when i ask people but but i think it it does it does resonate um on film because uh, it means something something kind of different to everyone and and it kind of highlights this this uh difference between the realities of young undocumented people um, with no status in this country and and everybody else. You know, thanks for that, Theo. It's it's really interesting. I'm I'm hearing you talk about the concept of the American dream, and sort of takes me back to my own experiences. You know, my parents are um, I'm Peruvian. My parents are from Peru. Um, I was born in the states. I was born in New York, and I do remember the concept of hearing about the American dream from my parents. But later, I started thinking about it more of the dream of living, right? So for my parents, it, it was really about making sure and hoping that their, you know, their family 
you know, kids and all would have a dream of dream of living that was unlike what life was in Peru for them, if that makes sense. And so it's, it was this sacrifice. It was this, you know, um, you're trying to see if, if, if they were able to survive in a new environment in a new place in order for us to have the opportunities that, that weren't there for them when they were growing up in Peru. And so I kind of view this more now as, as the, the dream of living as opposed to the American dream, if that makes sense. And so I really appreciate how you, how you kind of talked about that. What, you know, what is the concept of the American dream, right? So I want to take us back real quick to another film. And I don't, I know that we're, we're, we're definitely excited about Sanctuary Rising. I know Drew's going to ask a question about that, but one of the first films I was introduced, um, that you, that you made, uh, Sin País, just a very emotionally driven and packed, uh, film. And, and I know you and I have had, have had a discussion before about how, you were able to, as a filmmaker, stay connected with the story, but then where does emotion come into it as well? Because you're a human being and you're, you're filming these stories about families and individuals who are going through some really challenging times. And yet you have to um, be professional, but then also you, you have this layer of emotion connected. So how do you, as you, as you've, created all these films and you've you've produced all these films how have you been able to maintain that emotional check yeah and then also i just wanted to, like, to add on to your um I, I like that phrase like the the dream of living because uh also just wanted to point out you know talk talking a lot about like undocumented documented and legal status but you know just because someone doesn't have legal status in this country doesn't mean that they don't have dreams and that they aren't working towards those dreams and that they aren't doing incredible amazing things and that they aren't happy and beautiful amazing people getting married and having families and and you know being a uh like a a, a part of of communities and societies that is that is absolutely indispensable um and and, and in that actually waking dream and talking about DACA, it's really incredibly limiting because DACA, you know, only 600 and some thousand people have DACA. You know, there's a hundred, more than 100,000 people who used to have DACA and there's over a million people who, who are in the DACA kind of like age range who either didn't qualify or didn't apply or had it and lost it, um, et cetera. So like talking about experiences, experiences through the lens of legal status, I think, is like really limiting. And in general, we need to talk about experiences through the lens of of people, <laughs> of not documented, undocumented, or DACA, or legal permanent resident or citizen, but but just as people. Um, and 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 then, as I've seen over the years, like you mentioned, Sin País, you know, I made the film. Um, what is it now? Ten, almost eleven years ago. Uh, I, I've been connected with people in immigrant and undocumented communities for a long time. And over that long period of time, I've seen that, um, you know, that, that legal status is, is fluid, right? It, it changes all the time and it changes within families. They so have a family of eight people and there could be three different legal statuses. And then over a decade, all those legal statuses could change, you know, seven times among the family. Right. Um, and then with those changes, you know, change, change uh opportunities in terms of 
just like, um, you know, in terms of systematic opportunities. But, um, but the people don't change, you know, people, right. people are people and, and, and shouldn't be kind of judged on their, on their legal status. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think are you, you, Roger, you're talking more about kind of um, being connected to, to communities and families who are, who are going through kind of a lot of, uh, a lot of trauma mm -hmm. and a lot of intense emotional things and being kind of witness to that. And, um, and then, and then being part of kind of creating the, the, the story out of those emotionally intense um, events. Uh, yes, Theo. I know that several of the films you've bonded with um, everybody that was part of the film. I know in Sin Paris uh, with Gilbert, and uh, you had you've mentioned before that you've had him out um, in speaking uh, engagements and opportunities, and then with all all the um, all the uh, individuals who are involved in in Wake and Dream. So there's this you you end up um you have a big family in other words like all these individuals that you're connected with end up becoming part of your family right and that that has this emotional connection to it um and just you know in my mind I'm like wow how does Theo how is he able to stay so professional as a filmmaker but then also um very you know you're very caring towards family members and so I would imagine that everybody that you've connected with through your films end up becoming part of your family Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, if I, I'm making pretty, pretty intimate, um, films about, I'm making films about their, their families and about their lives and what's, what's really happening, um, in the world. So I think the jump between, you know, people jump between, you know, quote unquote character, which I, I try to stop using that word actually and use more participant, like the participants in who are featured in my films. I'm, I'm telling their stories in, in this like intimate familial way of what's really happening in their lives. Oftentimes it's very intense and, and, and filled with a lot of emotion and pain and trauma. And they're opening up to me, which, which, um, which gives me this massive responsibility of, of their story and how I make films and get films out there in the world and kind of activate the films to really, you know, push, um, for positive social change and narrative change. But then I also get close to them. And, and then, um, you know, especially as time passes, it just relationships, you know, relationships grow over time and, and take different turns and paths and you stay connected and close with people for long periods of time. And, and, um, and, and the relationship after the production of the film goes to, to, to being a friend and yes, to being like a part of extended family. So. So it's, it's an incredible blessing. Um, you know, when people, people think about like allyship and working with undocumented communities, um, from the citizen community and the white citizen community and white privileged citizen community. And oftentimes the frame is like, Oh, how can we help? You know, what can we, what can we do for them? And, and that needs to be flipped. So like that script has got to be flipped on its head because it's, 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 so much uh more valuable and more helpful to look at um you know what what can i receive like what blessings am i going to receive from doing this work and one of the huge blessings is having this extended family that yeah i mean rossi from waking dream for instance is now like my daughter's uh 
Spanish teacher via Zoom, you know, during shelter in place. Um, Steve from Wake and Dream, I'm, I'm working on another another piece right now that's kind of like this uh, this short little social media piece that's essentially like a thank you kind of love letter to the documented community and, um, you know, just sending a rough cut of that to, to Steve um, and other undocumented friends to just to get feedback about, hey, what is this? How does this 60 second little social media piece, you know, landing for you? And what are you feeling? You know, his feedback yesterday was instrumental in making it, uh, this, this piece a much more, um, you know, a, a piece that resonates and connects with and doesn't, um, you know, uh, um, and doesn't kind of sound patronizing and, and kind of is, is landing in a way that makes so much more sense for the ally community to, to, um, kind of communicate. Um, and then, yeah, the Mejia family from San Pais, I mean, that's over a decade ago. I'm still, you know, Gilbert, Gilbert from that family was just on a Instagram live chat that we did a couple weeks ago. Um, and still, um, he still speaks, you know, with the film with Sin Pais, which is about the, the deportation of his parents. Um, and is unfortunately still very resonant with, sorry, very resonant with people today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, Marisol, actually, who was uh, in Waking Dream, I met her. She was the first, the first family, the first undocumented family I ever met, which really got me into this work about 15 years ago on the border. And I photographed her family, and um, and and we in the documentary world, you know, there, there's kind of this concept of like ex- extractive storytelling, and and the world of journalism as well, right? This kind of extractive. Uh, uh, paradigm where a lot of times people uh often privileged folks often white folks go into communities of color and just kind of dig in and extract the story and then leave right um not really benefiting any anybody but um but that privileged white storyteller and you know thinking back to when i met marisol you know i was 21 or 22 years old and um and you know i dropped in and met her family and had all the good intentions in the world. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, it was the first time I've ever met anyone who was undocumented. I was just like a fledgling photojournalist at the time, not, not a filmmaker, you know, but I, I took photographs of her family and then I went back home and, you know, published them in the Spanish version of people magazine. Um, and I stayed in touch and I was, you know, nice and communicative, but you know, it was like a relatively, relatively extractive process. (laughs) Um, and then Marisol and her mom got picked up by the border patrol. Mm. They got arrested. And I never forget on Saturday morning, I had just met my now wife and, um, got this call from, from Marisol's sister, Lupe. And she's like, Marisol and mom just got arrested. They're in jail somewhere. She didn't even know where they are because ICE, you know, basically moves them around to make it complicated. So you don't even know where people are detained. And she didn't say, help me, help me, help me. She didn't, she just said, this is, this is what's happening. Um, because in their town, there's, again, there's no resources, you know, the concept of a pro bono lawyer in their town is non-existent. Right. Um, and that moment, it was so defining because that moment was the moment where I went from kind of somewhat naive, unknowing, uh, pretty extractive storyteller to, oh crap. 
this is a moment to be an ally. Right. This is a moment for my role to shift. And I called every single lawyer in like the entire Tucson area. I somehow happened to come across one that was in the office on Saturday morning. I managed to get them a pro bono lawyer. And then I, 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 I didn't, I was totally broke. I had no money. So I couldn't bail them out of jail. Um, and then I got in touch with people who had published their story in the Spanish version of People Magazine, the reporter and editors and said, Hey, will you all donate some money to try to get this family out of jail? Um, they donated and were able to bail them out of jail um, a couple of days later. And that's the moment where this question of, uh, of storyteller and friend and uh, ally and advocate uh, kind of started to bubble up. And then essentially since that moment um, over a decade ago, I've been trying to, figure out exactly what my role is as as ally, as storyteller, as friend, um, as colleague, as family member. So Theo, your current project, Sanctuary Rising, focuses on the movement of churches in this country to protect undocumented migrants from deportation. So let's share another clip. Every single day we're confronted with human suffering. We have to wrestle with our scriptures that command us. They don't ask us, they command us to welcome the stranger. The whole history of our sacred text says, care for the marginalized, the oppressed, and the alien. To me, sanctuary is a spiritual and political act. Instead of breaking a law, we're actually enacting God's law of protection and for migrants who are seeking a better life. So Theo, can you talk about your experience creating a film that places churches and faith life at the center of the conversation on immigration? So as I mentioned before, the kind of different entry points into, into this complex tapestry of the conversation we're having around immigration, um, you know, the entry point to into Sanctuary Rising is through the perspective of mothers, because the film is about two undocumented mothers who, you know, have orders of deportation and instead of getting deported, choose to uh, go into sanctuary and in local churches. Um, and when they go in, they, they, they pledge for the most part to not, not come out of the church uh, until they have some sort of legal status, which could be and has been um, years that they're essentially kind of self-imprisoning themselves inside these um these churches where where ice will not go in to detain them um so it's about these two undocumented mothers and their families and their journeys and then it's also about the faith communities and allied communities um that uh that support them and and about the history of the sanctuary movement in the 1980s uh when you know, streams of refugees were coming up from the wars in Central America that were largely funded by our country and um, and faith communities kind of sprang into action to create this uh, underground railroad, if you will, of of crossing people over the border and then transporting them to to safety and um, and providing a, a media outlet, you know, having press conferences on the steps of churches um, for Central American refugees to 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 really um, communicate the the reality of what was happening in Central America when at that time the major news networks were really kind of suppressing um, the truth of of the, the massacres and the horrific things that were happening down there. 
so so the the film is um is is kind of interweaving the the stories of these two undocumented mothers who are going through um this this intense period in their lives um fighting for again some sort of legal status so they can stay here with their families and organizing their communities um all while being um essentially imprisoned in these churches and now even worse during covid when you know the the elderly um or the the yeah mostly older um faith communities you know are being uh more cautious than others that uh and and not um not really feeling like they're not really able to to come out very much to to help and to support so now these these women and their families are are left um even more alone um in this in this current moment but um but the perspective of the the faith leaders and the faith community you know it's it's sorry every major uh you know scripture of every major religion somewhere in there has has kind of welcome welcome the stranger you know welcome the refugee and um and provide refuge for people in in need and in in you know who who may be harmed and and the film is really going to you know have have faith leaders um starting to parse out you know what is this what does this mean for us? Like, how do we, how do we live out these, um, these morals of welcome the, of welcome the stranger of just, um, of being a, a, a good human when we look to our neighbor and we see that they're being, um, oppressed by these really, um, by, by immigration law and, and about to be, you know, ripped apart from their family. Um, what, what do we do? You know, what's in, what's our, um, What's our moral initiative here? And and it's, this is going to be, you know, a film that kind of asks that question to different communities. Um, and the answer for every individual and every community is going to be different. You know, what is each each church, each synagogue, each mosque? You know, what do you what do you do um, and how do you participate in 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 being an ally to your immigrant community? And this film is really meant to kind of. Um, you know, spark those conversations, push those conversations even, even further if they've already started, um, show just two incredibly small examples of, of what, of what two faith communities are doing. Um, and really show the, again, incredible, um, complexity of the, the narratives of these two women and of their families, of their U.S. citizen born kids who are, Growing up in sanctuary, growing up um, living in these churches um, with, you know, the potential deportation of their their moms um, always kind of hovering above their heads. So Theo, I'm really hoping that, uh, you know, depending on what happens over the next few months uh, with COVID restrictions, et cetera, uh, that we can, if, if we're able to reschedule the Latinx Mental Health Summit, that was uh, supposed to be in April. If we have it towards the end of the year, I'm hoping to get you uh, to come for that. Um, if not, definitely in 2021, uh, because I do feel like your films are incredible, amazing, and 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 Drew has heard me talk about you and your films ad nauseum. And my mission is to make sure that um, everybody gets a chance to see to see your work. So. So Theo, many of our listeners are social workers and nonprofit professionals. 
What message can you share with them to help them improve their practice in working with individuals who are undocumented? So for a lot of social workers and nonprofit professionals, I mean, they're, um, you know, there's like this idea of like the, the closer, closer to the problem you are, you know, the, the closer to the solution, like you're, you're, you're the one with the solution, right? So people who are working in nonprofits and, and social workers, um, uh, you know, uh, probably, and some of them know, know much more about kind of how to work with undocumented communities than I do because they do, and they do work with, um, you know, people of mixed status for those who don't, um, I mean, I, I think it's again, like, uh, knowledge, knowledge is golden here because it's, it's again, so, so complex and there's so many different elements that, that could be going on that, that you might not be aware of. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're in a position where you're working with someone who is undocumented and you're trying to kind of like work within a system, <laughs> Whether that's like the some system within the United States, like a governmental system, um, there are just going to be barriers left and right that you might not know about that might take a while to figure out. Um, and and the undocumented experience has a huge um, element of basically figuring out how to um, go around those obstacles or tear those, tear those barriers and obstacles down, um, or how to, how to be creative and figuring out saying, Hey, you have this issue, you need this resource. I know what you need, but you can't go through the normal means to get that resource because you need a social security number. So let's look at, uh, what are the other kind of array of um of of ways to to get you those resources that you need and and you need to be really creative and you need to you need to do the work um i mean i had a friend who who was in university who was in a state school here in california he was the first undocumented student that his guidance counselor had ever counseled <laughs> so it ended up kind of being the other way around like he was counseling her. He was teaching her. He was he, through through his experience and through his information and his research um, and tenacity because he was his dream. His American dream was, you know, um, was to graduate college and to be able to support his family because his dad is diabetic and um, he's living in this you know one room apartment with this family of seven. He he was the one who pushed his guidance counselor to to learn all this stuff, to learn like what grants are out there for undocumented students. You know, how can the bureaucracy of the university shift their policy to actually work for undocumented folks, um, which is hugely critical. So, so I think for for folks in, in nonprofits and social workers, I mean, you got to be creative, you got to be dedicated, and you got to. Um, gotta you know have have some sense of of knowing what you don't know and the reality is you probably don't know a lot about um how to work with undocumented folks if you never have before and if you have then you no doubt have been learning on the job and learning kind of like what um what unique methods you 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 have to you got to take in order to um to really um to, to do your work effectively and to, to support, 
you know, folks who are undocumented in this in this country. You know, Theo, we appreciate you know, those words, and and we definitely appreciate your insight. Um, you know, and Drew knows he's very well aware of um, how much I I I enjoy your work, and and all your films are not only important but they offer so much insight. And and you know, my mission is to make sure that we get as many people out there to view your work as possible, and hopefully. Uh, we definitely can uh, get you to come to North Carolina and and offer a few screenings of your films um, as soon as we have these restrictions that are lifted. So thank you so much. I'm going to shift gears real quick because um, I know we've been talking about a, a lot of important things right now. But as Drew knows, I uh, typically ask our guests um, questions related to 80s and 90s. It's sort of uh, this it's our thing now, or at least my thing. Uh, I convert into Gen X Raj as we end our our interviews. And so, being a filmmaker, <laughs> uh, Theo, I, I wanted to ask, uh, I wanted to ask you what what would you say are your top three uh, favorite films of the '80s and '90s genre? You know, so I uh, I grew up in the '80s and '90s, so I'm all things '80s and '90s. Um, but instead of music, we're gonna we're gonna shift the film to movies. So, what would you say would be maybe top three in your perspective, your view of uh, top three films of the eighties and nineties. Top three films of the eighties and nineties. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's that I, during shelter in place, you know, I've been like going back and just watching, watching older films, um, you know, just trying to get, get past just this, you know, explosion of like 99% really bad films on all of our, <laughs> all of our streaming services. Um, and there are some great films, but they're older. So it's like, I just watched the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, two yeah. days ago, I think for the first time I watched it when I was 22, but that's, that's just way pre 80s. Way pre 80s. And then I, I went back and uh, and watched uh, the original Blade Runner oh, yeah. um, a while back. I believe that's pre eighty that as well. No, I think that might be eighty two. I might be wrong. I wish Drew. We need to hire a, a producer who can uh, fact check our eighties and nineties trivia stuff. <laughs> I know. Get that IMD up in that's here. That's right. You need a real time fact checker. Um, <laughs> You can, you can have that for all guests for all things that they say, just like a, like, just like a presidential debate. You can have like the real time fact check. <laughs> the nineties, nineties for me, it kind of feels like a, a little bit of a wash in a lot of ways, but I know that there's uh you know, the, just kind of the, the mobster movies kind of stand out to me. Goodfellas. You know? Like the, uh, the good fellas. Yeah. Like the Donnie Brasco. Um, and, um, yeah, those kind of those kind of dramas. Yeah, but yeah, in the eighties, I think like the um, you know, where I was going with Blade Runner is just kind of this this um, I don't know if it's like the golden age of sci-fi, um, but uh, but you know, going to to those movies like you know Aliens mm. and Predator and all those um, Schwarzenegger movies, etc. I I I don't think I would you know have maybe aliens but uh i i grew up on a lot of those films um kind of action films yeah. uh and i have nostalgia and fondness for them not that i would um 
may, might not like enjoy them so much anymore. But I did uh, recently go back and watch the original Rambo. There you go. Um, Stallone, Stallone, and all of his glory. Stallone had his and, um, and I did go back and watch the original Rocky as well. So um, I forget what year Rocky is, but I, I might put that in there. Um, I'm originally from Philadelphia, so seeing uh, seeing the Philadelphia, you know, that existed when I was like age five, and uh, and 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 this kind of gritty gritty film with this young Stallone is a it was a pleasure. Awesome. Well, you picked a good one in the mobster film. Goodfellas is is an awesome eighties nineties um, uh, fun fun film. I would say Goonies is up there. Um, maybe Back to the Future. Um, uh, Shawshank Redemption is actually a good film, a very excellent uh, uh, drama film. And then uh, I'm I'm Tarantino fan. So I'm a Tarantino fan, so I'll, I'll throw in Pulp Fiction in there. Theo, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your wisdom and your filmmaking and stories with us. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure pleasure to chat. And um, and yeah, I look forward to, to, to listening to future episodes. And again, that was Theo Rigby, founder of iNation Media and director and producer of Waking Dream and Sanctuary Rising. You can follow iNation Media on Facebook at iNation Media, on Twitter at iNation Project, and on Instagram at iNation Media. We'll also have links to trailers for his films on our website. Thanks for listening. The Common Good Hour is produced by Common Good Data. To access the show notes and learn more about our speakers and guests, navigate to www.commongooddata.com podcast. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Spark dialogue with us on Twitter. You'll find us at the handle at Common Good Hour. We look forward to continuing our conversation with you.